0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Fibre Exchange, episode four. I'm Martin Pedler from City Fibre, and with me today I have Mr. Paul Heritage Redpath.
1: Hello, it's lovely to be here with you, Martin. I am, as Martin says, Paul Heritage Redpath, universally abbreviated to Paul HR, um, celebrating 10 years with City Fibre, and I am head of products, brackets, business. So talking today, all things Dark Fibre.
0: Excellent, thank you, Paul. And for those that don't know me, uh, Martin Pedler, I run the Karen National Team here. Let's, uh, let's dive straight into it then. So what is Dark Fibre and where does the product sit? Dark
1: Fibre is glass in the ground, Martin. So it sits very much at the bottom of the seven layer stack, if you like. It's the building block of all the connectivity in the UK. Um, Dark fiber used in quite specialist applications. So we do sell it. It's actually done really well for us. But it's very different if you're used to Ethernet connectivity. So layer one of the OSI stack is physical infrastructure. You've got, and this doesn't work so well on a podcast, but if you think of a human hair, that is about the size of a standard fiber. So what you actually see in the photos is a human hair of glass or glass equivalent product. It's got a little bit of flex in it, usually surrounded by a piece of plastic insulation, which is what you can really see, and usually then rolled up into a bundle. So typically 12, 96, 244 individual wrapped fibres themselves in a bundle of wire buried in the ground, usually buried in a drain pipe, which we call duct. And if you've driven along one of the motorways, you might have seen purple plastic tubing along the side of the motorway. That is dark fiber duct.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean it's often good to paint that picture, isn't it? Because I guess all of those non-engineering types out there, there is a, there is clearly a build fiber. Fiber is just a strain of glass, it sits in a cable, it sits in a duct, it's all asset-based. So and and if we took that capability, that asset, I mean what instances do our partners use it? Because I know that we've got long distance network and we've got metro based assets. So could you take me through some of your thoughts around how a a partner might view and use our services both on the long distance and metro networks?
1: Yes, that's a really good shout and that takes us into what we'll talk about in a bit, which is tax. Always a fun topic for a podcast. So. Long-distance dark fibre partners would use if they're building their own national network. So it's it's quite a specific use case, that one. And it's a way to get data at high speed on long distance. And the trick with dark fibre is it's literally unlit fibre, as in its physical asset. We would sell you that asset and you as a partner then put your own, I always call it a big torch, on either end of the fibre to send light down it. The light's converted into like a torch pulse on and off, converted into ones and noughts, which becomes digital information, which we all know as the internet. So classic example is building a ring. And I say a ring because when you're building a national network, the first rule of networking is to have resilience. So you always have two paths. So rings typically figure of eight or multiple figures of eight to allow a position between two points If something goes through one of those fibres, usually a JCB, there's then another point for the network to run to. So that's long distance dark fibre. What we do, which is very distinctive, I think, in the UK, is we do single priced connections within a city, within a metro serving area. So nobody else prices the product quite like that. And we do that because we've got an unusual density of asset within our cities. So that gives you, if you're a partner with a local data center in the city, you can take a very cost effective input from us and you can light that yourself by putting the big torch at one end, electronics at the other and sending light back and forwards up that link. And The thing with dark fiber is it's endlessly expandable. So it is literally constrained by the speed of light. And as we move on, the generations of electronics at each end are getting better and more sophisticated so they allow more speed and more capacity down the same fibre so it's effectively just extensible connectivity technology which makes it quite different to a classic sort of EAD style ethernet where you buy a bandwidth and that's the bandwidth that you're always going to get
0: excellent it sounds like a product that all of our partners would want but we we know that's not necessarily the case Paul so in the context of our market, so we look at the channel um, channel operations from I guess our resellers through to our, our carrier operators, H- how do you see this product fitting in across those groups or do you, do you not see it in some but you very definitely see it in others?
1: It definitely depends what your business model is, so it's, as I say, it's lower down the technology stack. You've got physical infrastructure, you've got Ethernet and then you've got IP services sitting on the top, layers one, two and three of the stack. And as you go up the stack, you get more sophistication, you get more value in the chain. Um, but dark fibre allows you to go in at the bottom and extract the best possible price for a service and allows you to differentiate the services. So some of our partners take dark fibre, they've got the expertise to light it themselves, and they offer really quite distinctive bandwidths or capacities across that fibre. So carrier market, absolutely, um, that's classic sort of territory for let's buy that from City Fibre and put our own services on top um, historically as well local authorities for wanting to build a private network um, typically if you use Dark Fibre or partner with somebody who lights it for them CCTV is a good private example of using Dark Fibre applications for that so it is it is something that has real distinctive value if you've got the expertise both in handling putting the electronics on the end and of course doing the service and the knock maintenance of those circuits
0: yeah and i think that's quite interesting because i know that um in my partner base we've we've had opportunities across the stack actually so yes right at the top end you've got your carriers that are purchasing this to do some of their long haul backhaul type operations but then you know closer to the to the customer we've got people using them to extend their network connect data centers and what have you so you know it certainly has its uses for all partners across the spectrum so um i think we've kind of talked a little bit about what they use it for in terms of building their infrastructure and um you know adding overlay services on the top of it so adding adding light and then adding sort of uh, uh, services over the top of your ip are there any things that make it a limitation? So what are the technical requirements for our partners to to deploy a dark fibre service?
1: I think the thing that trips people up sometimes is how it's terminated. So the dark fiber generally lives in the ground, it'll pop up into a building. There's a choice then between terminating on a wall box or on a patch panel. So if there's a rack in the building, you would choose a patch panel which goes in the rack and just presents nice, easy connectors. Or we can bring it in as a wall box and allow you to splice into the infrastructure in the building. So that's really where people, I think, trip up, is just working through the end-to-end solution. But it is infrastructure. It's actually a super, super simple product. The interesting bit is what you do to light it. And an acronym you might have come across when people talk about dark fibre is something called DWDM or Dense Wavelength Division Multiplexing. And it sounds like dark magic but if you think of the cover of dark side of the moon where you've got white light coming in hitting a prism and going off into different colors of light that in a nutshell is what dense wavelength division multiplexing gives you it's allowing a single strand of fiber to have different wavelengths or for the sake of humans dealing with different colors of light and each of those different colors if you've got the right equipment on the end can in itself be Ten hundred gig channel so you can get a vast amount of data down a really small amount of infrastructure and that's the magic behind dark fiber
0: so thinking about that from a, a more commercial perspective so this allows operators uh and other partners to take what is effectively an asset because you can buy this we, we offer it this on yep. leases and we offer this on irus and i guess we could have a whole nother uh, for yeah. a podcast about IRUs, <laughs> but I think we'll save that for another day. Um so they, they treat this as an asset and they can build capability on the top. So when you talk about um operators that are sort of building multi-terabit networks, this is absolutely, absolutely prime for percent. those sorts of guys. So yep. you could be you could be a mobile operator, you could be an ISP in the UK. So it's ultimately scalable. Yep. Uh, fixed costs and you build your services on the top, so it gives you a known cost base into the future. So I think that's one of the things that certainly the partners that I've spoken to about Dart fiber find particularly attractive. It's a we have a known cost base into the future. It allows us to build. It allows us to, um, I guess, set our budgets and understand our scalable bandwidth for the future. So, okay, excellent. So technical requirements. Uh, I think we've been through there. So we sort of get into the sort of murky end of, um, of dark fiber and you know, some of the implications on our partners for taking a, a, a dark fiber service. And that sort of brings us into fiber tax. So, mm-hmm. so if you could sort of talk us through, a what is fiber tax? Why does it exist? And then how does this affect our partners?
1: So this is a really fun area. Um, historians might remember window tax from many decades, indeed millennia ago. Uh, The government finding a way to try and get money from property. So there is something called the Valuation Office Agency and they look for extractable value and they found it in dark fibre. So individual offices value differently around the country for asset that's buried in the ground. They see a tube with some fibres in as a taxable asset. This has been interesting from a couple of angles. From the point of view of competition, the incumbent BT has always been treated differently when it comes to dark fiber. They were treated as a utility and taxed on a, it's called a receipts and expenditure basis, whereas everybody else who installs dark fiber in the country is not currently treated as a utility. So you get regional variation, you get this strange distortion of competition and the government when it first started to encourage altnets decided that it would do a 100 percent exemption on tax for dark fibre that was in 2017 but that exemption was to run for five years which is kind of curious because fibre is very much a long-term investment we know because we do a lot of it that digging up the country it's an expensive, difficult, long-term business. So taking that relief off after five years, if you are genuinely encouraging investment, is a curious decision, and it's an English decision. In Scotland, that moratorium on tax continues until at least 2029. So that said, what could Fiber do to help our partners? We cut a deal with the Valuation Office which is that we pay a amount for tax and it's a fixed amount. So it's got predictability wherever you buy in our cities. Um, to date, we've not had to pass that through. We are now from April going to pass the tax through, but it will be in a nice straightforward to consume single charge for the year. The Valuation Office are also due to do a revaluation of their assets in 2023, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, But that is the position at the moment. It's one of those obscure corners of government trying to get revenue whilst also trying to encourage um, investment in fibre.
0: Well, look, I mean, I, th- I think that's really interesting. And, it, look, you know, we don't want fibre tax being something that people think uh, negatively of at the moment on the basis that, you know, you pay a premium for a lit service and someone's lighting it for you. It's an asset that you're not going to write down in the same way. Uh, my sense is there are still benefits as we know that um, some of the competition in the market are, are putting levies on top of standard lit services that sort of drive... Uh, you know, drive our partners to do something different or, or I guess accept the levy or the increase in, in price for services. So this could be an absolutely uh, fabulous example of an opportunity to put dark fibre into the network to to fix those costs so that you've got some security going forward.
1: And it's fair to say partners shouldn't be discouraged from the tax position from using dark fibre because even with the tax added on, it's still a really cost efficient way for services today, and it future proofs them for tomorrow.
0: No, I totally agree, and I think you know when I speak to my partners about it, it's something that they're they're still energised by. In fact, I know partners now that are starting to turn to Dart fibre more for their backhaul services, where they've had deployments of, of lit services in the past from from other providers in the market. So, well, look, thank you for that, Paul. And I guess you know there are some intricacies around fibre tech. So, I guess if any of the listeners want to uh, call in and talk to us about that, then by by all means, please do. Um, and so, I guess, sort of taking that a step further, then. So, how, how does it work with our partners when we want to talk to them about dark fiber or or, or start to engage in a conversation around them around dark fiber?
1: We're very different um, to the incumbent on this one because we allow partners to query where the network is, so you can see it. Um, we do fixed pricing, so it's really straightforward to buy, and the ordering process is equally straightforward you provide the ends that you require how you would like us to terminate the fiber is it one or two fibers that is needed and we go off and deliver that to you so that sounds obvious um if you were to try and deal with the incumbent it is anything but um open reach ofcom have tried to encourage open reach to sell their fibres over the course of a number of years. In the latest round, they kind of sort of have been made to a bit, um, but that product is really through gritted teeth. It's either dark fibre between fairly obscure exchanges or a product called Dark Fibre Access, which difficult to consume. SLA on it is wildly different to what you get on a lit service from Openreach. So it's they certainly don't make it easy whereas for us it's a core product it's a fixed price product it's the standard sla that city fiber offer we do everything that we can to make it straightforward to consume
0: yeah i know i totally agree and i think one of the questions i'd be sort of asking is you know is it available in all of our cities so we talk to our partners in terms of metro and full fiber networks um could could our partners buy in all of our cities going forward so as we roll out
1: um, Dark Fibre is available wherever we build it's fair to say that during the build phase of a city we are focused on delivering the full fibre network as a standard build so lead times in a full fibre network city would be extended because we're so busy trying to flood that city with fibre anyway it's it's a little bit off where we are core um, in the established metro cities it's just a bread and butter delivery but longer term, yes, wherever we are, that product will be there.
0: Excellent. Great. And I, I know that having uh, sold this on a few occasions in the past that, you know, where we're selling in the metro, we also sell long distance fibre. I understand that there are some, um, I guess, points of note that partners would want to be aware of if they're buying a service and it's maybe 100 kilometres or 150 kilometres. Are there any any things that you would ask our partners to consider where we're just rolling out the dark fibre service? We would need them to do some things to that
1: yeah there's there's a couple of nuances with a circuit of that length um so on our side everything i've said about dark fiber tax applies to the metro fibers because a long distance network spans different rating authorities it's usually assessed on a bespoke basis so it's not quite straightforward to do the tax on a long distance one um but it is still very doable You also need to look at the applications that you want to run over that fibre because for long distance, by its nature, it's probably been in the ground longer. And as with all things technology, fibre technology moves on. Um, It is glass within some shielding, but the optical properties of that glass vary with time. So it's worth just checking in with our pre-sales team about what precise fibre makeup is on that route. If you're going very long distance as well, um, light obviously travels extremely quickly, but there is some degradation where the fibre has been spliced over time. So on an extremely long route, you might pop up and do something called a repeater, which takes the light in, amplifies it, and then fires it further along the route. So pre-sales are absolutely used to doing these sort of discussions. But yeah, long, long distance fibre is the same but just with a bit more care because there's more of it to manage.
0: For sure. Good. And I think, yeah, that's absolutely where I was getting at because I know that uh, that's that's been the sort of uh, subject of quite a few conversations uh, when we've been speaking to partners about it, where and how we do the amplification. But like you say, our pre-sales team are well aware of those challenges and, and prepared to deal with our partners accordingly. So I guess there was just a couple of other things I was uh, interested in picking up on. I know that you know, we we put a product uh, sheet out to the market, and we have two different variants of dark fiber. We we can have a single, or you can have dual fiber, or you can have multiples of. Um, could you give us an indication of you know why a single, why a double, or why a pair of fibers um, in any particular circumstance?
1: Yeah, certainly. So if it's an access circuit, then pretty much everybody for access uses one fiber, and the two boxes at the end communicate with each other over the fiber, so they'll send and receive. If you are doing um, a network-to-network interconnect in one of our FEXs or in your third-party data center, then when you're connecting um, very large-scale traffic together in data centers, those ENI and connections are two fibers, one going one way, one going the other, send and receive. Um, and that is just a function of trying to maximise the speeds that you can get on the electronics on that sort of shorter run. So that's really where the distinction comes in. If it's access, one fibre is normally absolutely sufficient. If it's a data centre cross-connect, the nature of those ports is such that they are typically connectors that expect a connection going either way, so it's two fibres. If you're doing infrastructure into, for example, a multi-tenanted building, that's where you would look at buying a bundle from us so
0: 12 96 244
1: Star Fiber bundle um, but yeah those are normally
0: how we do it alright Paul look so I, I think um, we've been through a, a fair bit there to be honest I would urge all partners if they're interested in uh, looking at some dark Fiber with City Fiber please do get in touch with your account teams um, and if you actually want to find out any more please do go to cityfiber.com and um, I would also like to give you some guidance on the, the next of the series of the Fibre Exchange, which will be Ethernet Flex, episode five. So watch out.